Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Dental Practice Heroes podcast. Got a really good podcast today. I really enjoyed doing this one, and I'm so happy that this guest came on and did this with me because this is someone that just a normal practicing dentist, great dentist, great person, great communicator, but, you know, bought a practice, grew it a little bit, and then kind of just, you know, got stuck by capacity issues, got stuck by the limiting size of the practice, as well as uh, only having one hygienist. And he talks about the switches he made by adding more hygiene, and he actually moved his whole entire practice to a new location and more than doubled his collections, like, within a year. It's just a great story about getting out of your comfort zone, taking a risk, trusting in yourself, and he just shares his experience and, and what happened and some systems and stuff they do. So this is a great episode. I know a lot of people are going to reach out to me and say they really love this one. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. The Dental Practice Heroes Podcast. Business, communication, leadership, practice, and life success. It all starts with a hero. It all starts with you. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Dental Practice Heroes podcast, where we believe that armed with knowledge and intentionality, anyone can become the hero that their practice needs and deserves. I'd like to welcome my guest, owner of Kelly Dental in Springfield, Missouri, and a good friend of mine. Please welcome to the podcast, Dr. Chase Kelly. What's up, man? What's going on? How is it out in Missouri? In, in Chicago, it's like negative 32 wind chill. Like I can hear like the wind howling against like my windows. It's How's it going by you? The exact same, probably not quite that cold, but I think last time I checked, it was like negative 15 and my pipes are all frozen at the office. I'm sitting here, like can't wash my hands. I still got soap on them from <laughs> using, the, using the bathroom like an hour ago. There was one time I remember like last January, I went to a car wash because I just had so much salt on my car. So I always tried to go to this like touchless one. I don't want to go to the one that touches the car. And it's like the person in front of me was like yelling something as the garage was closing. And I'm like, what is this? And I get it. It soaps up the whole car, and then it goes to rinse it, and just nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm driving around just trying to find any car wash. Like, my car is covered in soap, black car. I'm just like, shit. Oh, but I think man. the same thing happened. The pipes froze. Damn, it's uh, this cold weather up here in the Midwest, man. What are you going to do? Well, you know? I know. So uh, I'm excited to interview you today because I want to – I think you got a really good story of a, of a transformation – you know, just to give the listeners an idea, Chase had moved his practice. He like, you know, changed buildings, bought a building and it kind of switched up how he was doing a lot of things after being open for seven, eight years at your other location. Is, is that about right? Something yeah. Like? But I mean, before we get into that, why don't you give the listeners just kind of a brief history of your journey from dental school into practice ownership and, and up to before the move, I guess. Okay. Yeah. So basically back when I was in school, Growing up, my dad had his own business. I always thought I wanted to be medical, thought I wanted to be like a neurosurgeon for a while as a kid. When I kind of realized how much school that took and, you know, all the kind of strange hours and everything like that, I, I realized, you know, maybe I didn't want to do that. Back in undergrad, one of my mentors, his dad was a pediatrician and, you know, was kind of talking to him about how he ought to look into dentistry. So I started looking into it, realized I could have my own business, but also still work with my hands and kind of be able to problem solve in that way. So when I started going that direction, you know, I was a year or two from graduating. I started asking friends and looking around for practices from retiring dentists. Um, I thought I'd probably be an associate for a year or two under them and then take it over slowly over time. The practice I ended up landing on, that dentist had had a solo practice for 
30 years or so. His dad was a dentist. I went into that practice or, or looking into that practice and it wasn't really big enough to support two dentists like he thought it was. And so we ended up agreeing to me buying the practice a year and a half after, or sorry, a month and a half after I graduated dental school. Oh, wow. And then he worked with me for another four and a half months and then he completely left the practice. So we got to have that, you know, six month intro period with all the patients. And then he completely stepped away. It wasn't a extremely busy practice, but it was mostly fee for service, uh, Delta Premier only. And so it was a very healthy practice. And so I got to kind of start my journey by growing it slowly and by being healthy and, and that sort of thing over time. So getting a practice like that soon out of school, was that like an like, oh my God moment? What was that like shock? Like, cause I always tell people I recommend they do like associate shift for like about you know, a year, at least a year or two. But then I know a lot of people that go right into it. And, and what was your experience doing that, having ownership so soon after graduation? I mean, it was scary at first. I kind of didn't know if it was a mistake or if it was a great thing. I, I knew the practice I was buying was healthy believed I could do it. You know, I've always felt like I could persevere through challenges. You know, I think I was one of maybe two classmates that I knew of that was doing this. It wasn't a startup. I don't really know anybody that did a startup right out of school, Mm -hmm. but I think buying it that soon out of school was kind of rare. I kind of just felt like I was going to, you know, figure my way out all the way through it. And the doctor I bought it from was very supportive. You know, we sat down, had a lot of late nights, you know, looking through QuickBooks and how to reconcile how to kind of look at different numbers, how to run the business. I mean, the practice wasn't extremely advanced when I bought it technology wise. It had no internet. He was, you know, mailing referral handwritten letters to these you know, referral doctors. And, you know, it was pretty simple in that way. He was working about three days a week, 118 days a year. He was able to kind of hold my hand through the, the beginning stages. Now, how big, you mentioned it wasn't big enough for two people. Was that because of operatories or was that because of patient base? Well, it was a four-op practice. So we had one hygiene running, one room. The doctor was in three rooms. You know, being open three, three and a half days, it probably could have been more productive had he worked more days. I think it probably could have had two dentists that were working slim. It only had about, you know, active patient-wise, probably about 650 active patients. So... It really just didn't have the volume. I mean, it was getting like 20 new patients a month, losing probably the same amount. So it was just kind of word of mouth only, no advertising, good reputation, but just kind of, I would say he's pretty content. He was pretty content with the pace. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the practice. What were the collections when you bought it and what were the collections before you moved? Because I know where you're at now. And I, and I think that's a, an important piece of showing what this, how you transformed this after you moved the office. But yeah, where, where were you when you bought it and where did you take it to before you moved the office? When I bought the practice, you know, the dentist was working limited hours and everything. You know, they always take the three-year running average and try to figure out what the value of the practice is. And it was hovering right around the 500000 mark. Did that, you know, after a year of being there, I think it was a little under that my first year as I kind of got my feet wet and then just kind of built slowly from there, you know, maintained overhead, kept growing the practice, you know, 10, 15% you know, some months, I guess a couple of years ago, you know, I think we were a little stunted from COVID, but we hit collections wise around the 730 mark, but we were starting to see a higher volume of new patients starting to kind of dabble in some more, you know, marketing and through a lot of changes. I mean, it's not as probably easy as it sounds, but our goal, you know, what I thought we could hit this year was one six. And, you know, I think we're going to be just shy of that, but that's still 
I think about 40%, 45% growth over last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, coming from, you know, 700 and whatever 20 you said, that's more than double that you've done in just two years and with COVID in between. Right. Right. Yeah. You mentioned briefly the insurance participation that you guys were just Delta Premier. Now, did you end up changing any insurance participation? What, what, did that have anything to do with it? You know, I don't think it did. I think in some ways it was good to kind of try that to cast our net, net wide. I've always been kind of against, you know, trying to just take on a bunch of insurances. I didn't want to cheapen our brand. I didn't want to run around like a chicken with my head cut off, numbing the wrong side and, you know, doing things that I've done that. Make a lot of excuses <laughs> for, right? Yeah, yeah. I've never done that before, for the record, right? You know, I didn't want to I didn't want to cheapen the brand. You know, I know people kind of get in battles over people saying that you know, you can't be in network and have high quality. I don't agree with that, but I also I just didn't enjoy it when I didn't feel like I could slow down, do it the way I wanted to do it, be proud of what I did. I didn't want to have to be redoing stuff because I was rushing through it. I was completely kind of against that. And I also didn't want to have to structure a lot of new systems around being in network and just getting bigger and having more team and being busier and hurting our patient care that we couldn't reel back in. So I was afraid to do that. You know, I decided with the building change and just with this kind of growth path I was trying to take, you know, the last couple of years to really just get more net new patients. You know, we'd been getting 20 new new patients a month, you know, losing maybe 15, 18, whatever it was. So we were netting like two to five new patients a month on good months. And it just wasn't fast growth. So kind of just part of that casting my net wide, I decided to go in that umbrella plan with Carrington. You know, I'd heard you talking about doing that and thought I ought to try it. They, they said you could drop it, you know, within three, six months or whatever. You know, we did that. It, it helped to a degree, I think, to just get our name out and just get kind of become known in the area, I guess, if people were looking on lists and we were on there. But after I kind of started seeing some of the discount plans and other things coming through and the reimbursements of like 40 bucks for a comprehensive exam when I'm used to getting 120 or whatever it is, I felt like it was going the wrong direction with that. We were seeing patients coming in out of network that were staying outside of these plans I was picking up. And so I really just called called the broker and just said, hey, let, let's kill these. It took probably about a month for me to decide, I really don't think I do want to do this. Even though it, you know, it costs like five grand or something to get started, I was kind of like, well, I, I tried it and at least I know. Right. And then you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to, you don't have to wonder, at least. I like that you, you gave that opportunity and then you said it's not for you, it's not for your practice and you're back out and you're still in Delta Premier though. Is that, that's that correct? We are, we are. And there's still a couple of little residual, we these EOBs, they'll show we're in network. So we're kind of having to kind of comb through those and figure out who thinks we're still in network and trying to fix some of that. But yeah, we're still Delta Premier only. We still treat and quote estimated out of pockets based on being out of network. Awesome. So when you were at the old, the, the four op practice, What do you think you grew out of the gate, like from your 500K to 700K, but then you mentioned that you kind of, you felt like you stagnated a little bit. What do you think was holding you back from taking your practice to the next level? You know, I wasn't really sure what exactly it was. You know, I knew I wasn't advertising. I tried to kind of work with a firm that was putting out some of those, you know, click funnels and putting out some, you know, trying to get our SEO up, trying to pay-per-click ads out there. I wasn't really getting the results. I was getting some consults for dentures or implants and they, they wouldn't really convert. They weren't really the right fit. And I, I kind of felt like that was almost just kind of a waste of expenses, you know, at that time. And so I was a little discouraged, you know, thinking, you know, I'm, 
I'm growing. My reputation's good. You know, my work is good, but there just really isn't, I just wasn't sure how to exactly grow. I think what was truly holding me back is I was the primary producer. I had my one hygienist, you know, I felt like we would have a cancellation every day or two, you know, in hygiene. And I'm like, well, see, there's, there's capacity left there. We don't need to add a second hygienist. We still have capacity now and then. But I think in reality, what I wasn't doing is I wasn't getting our name out in the community. I wasn't creating capacity by expanding our team and our provider list. And, and I also think, you know, being in four operatories, as we begin to grow, I was quickly outgrowing that space and I really didn't have room to put emergencies and other people. So I think it was just a combination of a few little things that were going to take kind of big leaps of faith and just realizing that I was hitting a ceiling a couple of years in a row and that there was a, a problem stunting my growth. So it sounds like you, you had one hygienist and you added a second hygienist. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple of years ago, we, you know, I kind of decided my goal was going to be to try to grow the practice, you know, try to get, try to max out my patient list to where I felt like I was just busy. I didn't want to be sitting in my office scrolling through Facebook or, you know, having an endless to-do list that wasn't really doing dentistry. So with that new patient growth, I knew I was going to have to open capacity. You know, at the time we were seeing all the new patients out of my chair for an hour and a half with no cleaning. And I was doing this lengthy kind of spear style new patient exam. You know, when I decided to add a second hygienist, I thought it might take a year for her to get up to capacity. But after about three, six months, you know, she pretty much had a full list of patients in her column. What that did is that freed up my column to be able to do more dentistry from production out of her chair. That second hygienist and then just rolling all my new patient exams to hygiene in general allowed us to have and blocking them out for those appointments allowed us to really start seeing a heavier flow of new patients. Now, curious, you, you like doing like the big spear style exam, you're doing it in your own chair and now you moved it into hygiene. Do you think anything changed? Do you think you lost anything there or lost opportunities or do you think the, the time savings was worth it to free up your chair to do dentistry and, you know, also I guess have a, a more capacity? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. I think there were certain situations where, you know, kind of building that rapport with that patient was kind of sparking some interest, giving them possibilities of treatment where they may not have had time to mention that, or I may not have been able to dig quite as much. But I also felt like in those long hour and a half exams, you know, you know, I was proud of them because people would say things like, you know, man, I've never had this thorough of an exam before. I've never had an exam this good. You know, this is amazing. And I would kind of take that as like validation. But what I also realized is, that could have been their polite way of being like, man, this is taking a lot longer than I thought. <laughs> I, I feel like probably more times than not now looking back on it, you know, those patients were probably like, get me the heck out of here. And when is my cleaning? You know, <laughs> yeah, I don't no. know. I, I probably at the time it made sense because I had the time now moving them over to hygiene. When I started moving patients to hygiene, I was like, man, I'm going to really kill some of the value. I'm the man, I'm the dentist, right? So everybody wants to spend time with me and that's what they value. What I'm realizing is my hygienists are way more personable and, and <laughs> enjoyable to talk to. You know, my head's like five different places, you know, when I'm in there trying to have a conversation that sounds human. I don't really think it did change the experience, you know, in, in some ways, you know, you kind of think of the Wizard of Oz, you know, he's hiding behind the curtain and it kind of builds him up in a way and everybody's talking about him. And in some ways, my hygienists now, you know, they, they kind of hear about us through marketing or whatever it is, word of mouth. They see our website, they see our photos, they maybe hear me in the background in the office. And then I, you know, come in and it's kind of like, Oh, there he is, you know, and it's maybe they value me more now, you know, I don't know. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's great that you noticed that and then that you realize, I think that's a great example for some people just to hear. I want to circle back to how much, you know, you mentioned the moving the new patients to hygiene. Talk about adding that additional hygienist because I think a lot of dentists are in the same position that you were. You look at your hygienist day, you'll see one or two cancellations and you say, well, we've got room for people. Like we don't, we don't need to add capacity. Talk about that experience, what that was like. And you mentioned she was filled by, you know, three to six months, but it was kind of a leap of faith to talk about that. I would just say, you know, when you have patients coming in that are a husband, wife, you know, we had a lot of older husband, wives that were two peas in a pod. They'd walk in together, you know, sit right next to each other. They'd wait an hour, you know, completely patient for their cleaning after their husband got cleaned. So those people are really cared for better now. People with families probably view our practice different. You know, they're never going to tell you, hey, we had to stop going to you because you only had one hygienist and we didn't want to wait that long. You know, they're just going to leave. You know, when patients call, as our demand got bigger, it really wouldn't have worked with one hygienist. I mean, I guess so for us, you know, when we went to two, it really just built a hygiene department where we felt like we always had capacity. I mean, it's kind of like buying, I didn't want to buy this Itero and I thought the Itero was probably gimmicky and, you know, people thought too highly of it. It wasn't really going to be much of a better scanner than the Omnicam, but once we got it, all of a sudden now we're scanning more people. We're talking about more dentistry. We're taking more photos. People are wanting Invisalign more. So it's just kind of like when you add that capacity, it just kind of rewires you to think different and patients feel things different and the phone conversations up front, the front has more confidence to get that new patient in, to offer them an earlier appointment time. When you're able to really service the demand for your practice through that second hygienist, it really just kind of drives everything else. I mean, my, you know, my production, it was easier to schedule to production on my column because we always had more to choose from to throw them into blocks and everything else. So for us, once I added that second hygienist, you know, I never once regretted it. I expected mm-hmm. to be losing money month after month from having too many employees that, that, that were paid, you know, in the hygiene pay scale. And uh, after a while, I just realized, hey, that's, that's what I should have been doing this whole time. So now, did you change anything marketing wise? Yeah. You know, I started working with, you know, the same guy that you'd recommended. You know, I'd worked with him probably for a year and a half now, maybe two years. You know, once we started, kind of realizing we wanted to break out of a ceiling. I said, you know, I really need to find somebody that has a proven track record. So I'm not just throwing money at the wall and I wanted to see an ROI. So really, I think the key for us was to build our website out. You know, I was kind of lean and mean at first. Like I said, you know, we had, had one front office, you know, one hygienist, one assistant. I think I went to two assistants at one point. I just kind of kept it there. But when I realized I wanted to grow, get more new patients, you know, I ended up so I was going to say, I built out my website by myself, I think through Squarespace and, you know, I could like drag and drop and move stuff around and <laughs> like write my own bio, you know, yeah. just did all the stuff that like probably looked fine. If, if I was going to like be like a fraudulent, like fake dentist, you know, yeah. something like that, like a con artist dentist, you know, with my website, but cause it just looks so like, if you really knew what you were looking at, you could probably tell I did it myself, but it lasted for quite a few years. But what I did with this, this marketing guys, he went ahead and built out our whole website, but it had all that back end, you know, keyword stuff built into it. You know, our Google name changed from Kelly Dental to Kelly Dental of Springfield. You know, our I think within a few months, you know, we were ranking in the top on Google on organic searches for best in a Springfield or whatever the search word was that, that was important. We did some Google click ads, you know, that were just kind of like you have a toothache. You know, I'd see my ads on 
neighbors were like, Hey, I saw you on YouTube. Yeah. You know, I saw you on the weather app. You yeah. They say all these random things They're like, did you know you advertise on this? I'm like, Oh really? Yeah. Okay. That was just kind of getting word out in the community. And it was actually pretty powerful. I think that just drove a lot of people to just picking us out of really just convenience. I think our name was right in their face and they just decided to click and kind of, you know, they, what they do is they go to your website, they, they see an ad, then they go to your website and then they're like, oh, that looks pretty legit. And then they read your reviews and they're like, oh, that is legit according to those people. And, you know, then they call you and they're like, oh, they're pretty friendly. And then they come in, you know, so it all just kind of leads to this experience that all kind of all their little questions they have are kind of being validated of, yeah, this is the right place for me. You know, we, we definitely don't have the most reviews in the area, but we've got really high quality reviews. They're all very authentic pay or give prizes to our patients for leaving them. We just, you know, get a compliment and turn it into a review. And people tell us, you know, you didn't have the most reviews, but you had the best reviews. For us, I would say that marketing strategy has been very fruitful for us to kind of drive that new patient attention to our practice. Secondary to that, so my sister actually has her own podcast with another gal and it's, it's for like stay at home moms and they just like talk about just random stuff and they're both pretty funny girls, but her friend does some kind of social media marketing background, just advertising background. And she was going to kind of build out a almost like reputation locally for me to try to kind of just introduce people to Dr. Kelly. And what she said is she goes, you know, just get to know you and being around you a little bit. I think your humor is more like deadpan, deadpan humor. You know, you're just kind of like dry, like little quips, like little dad jokes. <laughs> and she's like, first off, she wanted it to be, she wanted to make fun of the fact that I was an Eagle Scout. And I was like, why, why is that funny yeah, to you? I know it's yeah. dorky, right? But What's like, wrong with why, that? How, how are you going to run with this? And why are you even going there? And she's like, well, on your website, it lists all your like accolades. And it's like Eagle Scout. And she goes, and I like, laughed at myself. <laughs> I was like, so you're making fun of me. Cool. Awesome. And I was like, well, let's not go that direction. She wanted me to like put on my old Boy Scout uniform and like walk around and make these little jokes, like walking old ladies around. And, yeah. stuff. and I was like, let's not do that because I've already. Oh, uh, I would have loved that. Joking. I know. Well, sorry. I'll, I'll do it she for could, you if you want. She couldn't she could, she get you to do it. Okay. Yeah. I'll, ma- I'll make your own personal video. For oh, thanks. Next like, yeah. All right. Okay. It's coming up in June. It's kind of so. weird, but whatever. Um, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> so so I'm a uh, dad joker at heart probably. And now that I have kids, I can actually justify it. So she goes, I think you should be kind of just do these dad jokes and we'll just record you doing dad jokes. And it'll kind of be the theme. And I'll try to kind of make your Instagram congruent with that. And so we kind of did that. And so really you know, on our personal Kelly dental page, we don't put ad spend behind that. You know, it's usually like introducing our team, showing our office, taking some high quality photos before and afters, things like that. And we'll mix in like a dad joke. I never really wanted to be the, like, I always wanted to be able to walk in the grocery store or like fill my car with gas and have people not look at me and be like, Oh, there's that dad joke guy. Or there's that dentist, (laughs) you know, I I kind of wanted to lay low. Right. So I didn't want to like be this like selfie guy, you know, but this is one way where really what it's been is these new patients will see that and they'll, they'll kind of connect with it or, you know, current patients will be like, Oh, I love your new dad joke. And little do they know, you know, we've recorded them like a year ago and they're just randomly posted. And I have no idea what yeah. they're talking about, but they work great for just kind of, you know, just building a personality into the experience. So I love that you took the, you said it was your sister or your sister-in-law. It was my sister's uh, friend. Okay, so yeah, so like I love that you guys just took this idea and like almost like like what do we need to bring to a brand? Like what do we and and very intentional and put that out there. And, and you, I mean, probably getting a little bit out of your comfort zone. Like I'm the same way. Like my my team's like, you should get a TikTok. You should do these funny videos. And I'm just like, eh, it's just not me. 
I mean, I, I'm happy with the fact like we use the same marketing person and like I pop up on my daughter's friends' YouTubes all the time. And when they come over, they're like, oh my gosh, it's so weird to like meet you because like you're on my YouTube. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm like a celebrity. You know, it's, but it's like, but it's, it's like, dude, it's like a paid ad on YouTube. Like I'm not a celebrity. Come yeah, on. You're like, I have no clue where it is. Yeah, I know. But they always, they always say, oh my gosh, I see you on my YouTube all the time. Now you, you went from like more than doubling your collections from moving into your new practice. How did the opportunity come about to move to this new building and what did that change for you? What, how's the practice different now? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the quickest version I can tell is, you know, having a four out practice, we added the second hygienist. So they took two of those operatories. I had two operatories now that I was working out of. I had, you know, I like to bounce back and forth through my chair. I didn't have any overflow chairs for emergencies. So I really needed a fifth op. Um, I was renting the space. I looked into like building out another operatory. It was really going to squeeze down my other operatories and I was, you know, renting the space. So I didn't want to dump a bunch of money into it. So I just kind of kept my eyes open. I was talking to a friend at a charity event and he was like, how's the practice going? And I was kind of telling him some of our growing pains and he goes, okay, okay. Well, he was in real estate. He said, if I come across anything, I'll let you know. I was like, okay, okay. You know, he came to me like a week later and he was like, Hey, it hasn't hit the market yet. I got this practice, you know, it's 5,300 square feet, kind of unexpectedly, this practice is going to be vacant and it's built out, you know, it's like five years out of a remodel. It's beautiful. It's a standalone. The real estate comes with it. And he's like, would you ever be interested? And I was like, no, <laughs> it's way too big. It's way too big. That sounds super expensive. You know, I've been running lean and mean for years, so I didn't want to just blow everything on it. So I kind of slept on it. And then I woke up and I was kind of like, gosh, I started crunching some numbers and just kind of thinking through it and opportunity long-term, you know, thinking about, did I really want to build a practice? Not really. I mean, it just seemed perfect. I think I called you about it. You know, we talked about it and you're like trying to kind of like wake me up and like slap me in the face and be like, Hey man, this is like, so you, this is so you, you know, and you were just kind of telling me you should do this thing. I called coincidentally, Brett Francis was just on your podcast and mm-hmm. uh, I know him through friends and CEs and things like that. And I called him cause I knew he was building and he was telling me about the cost of his practice that he was building. It was not a, a ton more, but it was quite a bit. And I had another friend, you know, he's doing the same thing and his practice was in that same wheelhouse. And so I was comparing that number, the number I was going to use. And I was like, you know, really it's pretty inexpensive compared to like building this place. So once I moved here, you know, I wasn't sure if my overhead was going to go crazy after that. You know, I just thought we'll grind it out. If I lose money for a year, you know, we'll figure it out. So, you know, our production started creeping up with the extra fifth chair. You know, I actually have 10 operatories now, so I don't even use half the space, you know, as it stands right now, but there's like a miniature sterilization area next to two hygiene rooms. And then there's three kind of open bay doctor areas. I've been working in those three, my hygienists are humming on their side. I actually have a third hygienist starting in a week. And then I've got a fourth hygienist in the ringer. That's probably going to start in the next month. So I'll end up with four hygienists and probably hate life for a little while. But <laughs> I'm, I told them, I was like, I don't know how you're going to do this. It's going to be a chess match, but two exams an hour. I don't know how you're going to do it, but just schedule me two exams an hour and that's it. Yeah. But um, when I moved over here, you know, production was creeping up, you know, I was kind of careful not to just buy a bunch of stuff when I first moved over here. And you know, my accountant after year one of being here was like, Chase, this is crazy. He's like, you know, your production's gone way up, but your overhead stayed exactly the same as it was in your old place. Wow. So for me, that was kind of proof of patients come in, they see a beautiful, beautiful environment. They're like, this guy must know what he's doing to be working in a place like this. It really wows them. It kind of 
gives them more confidence in our skills and abilities. It kind of keeps the team more energized and excited to be here. I think, you know, they're proud to bring their family, show their friends, talk about us. I think patients, you know, I, I was concerned that my patients were going to think that I was just frivolous spending dentist that they were overpaying for. Most of them are like, oh, you're actually closer to my house now. Or, wow, mm-hmm. this place is beautiful. I'm really glad you did this. So for, for me, it, you know, after a year of being here, it really just um, made a ton of sense. You know, I was really just felt like it was a great decision. Yeah, I remember when we had that conversation, because if you go to like Chase's like Instagram or his website, you'll see, I mean, you'll see how beautiful his practice is, but you'll see his work and his, he's, he's uh, very into dental photography. And I remember telling you, I said, gosh, this is you. Like you, you should have a very high endy looking, like beautiful practice. Like, and I, I love that you bring that up because I, I couldn't agree more. I think there's just such, there's a wow factor and the patients may not say, Oh, I go to him because he has a nice practice, but there's something they feel internally about you and the product that you guys provide because of the way the practice looks. And I don't even know if they could even realize that, but I think there's just something naturally human about that. Now you got 10 ops. You mentioned you're just using about half of them and you're adding hygiene. So like you're, you're, you're realizing that the, the hygienist is the catalyst for growth, but are you planning on adding an associate anytime soon? I wasn't sure if I was ever going to have an associate or wanted an associate, you know, earlier on in my career, you know, I told my team, I don't want to grow for growth's sake, but as we've kind of broken out of this ceiling the last couple of years and we're seeing, you know, our practice, I think we looked at it, we were netting like 45 new patients a month over the past 12 months, every single month. Wow. Yeah. So I think our new patient number is like over 70 you know, we might be losing a couple. Some of those aren't comprehensive exams, but we're over 500 new patients. So we're at this point now where, you know, I'm like, well, if the demand keeps coming, I'm going to keep servicing it by growing our team, building our, you know, growing our equipment. So I'm at this point now where, yeah, um, you know, I love teaching. I love mentoring. I don't know it all, but I definitely like to sit down and kind of talk through you know, my thought process on different things. So I'd love to have an associate at this point. I tell my patients and team, I'm not in a rush to hire the wrong person, you know, so I just really want to make sure it's somebody that kind of understands my vision, understands, you know, the experience that we give our patients, somebody that takes pride and has some passion, you know, towards dentistry, you know, it's not like a punch in punch out type of thing, but, you know, I've always told people when I hired them, you know, no one on their deathbed ever said, I wish I'd worked more. So I do want to have, you know, a well-rounded lifestyle, but, when we are at the office, you know, we work hard. And so that's pretty much who I'm looking for is somebody who really likes what they do that we can kind of nerd out together and talk through nuances and I can teach them certain things. And there's probably going to be things they're better at than I am. And they could have pretty much their own practice on that other half of my office, you know, with those five ops. So, yeah. And, and what's cool is you're, you've got with that new patient volume, I mean, you can get, you can keep somebody very busy at your, Doug, do you want to share your, your contact info or, or an email yeah. so just in case anyone's in Springfield, Missouri area and is, is looking for a, a new gig? I mean, I, I would love to work with you. I think this would be a great opportunity for anybody. Like Chase is a really cool guy, easy guy to talk to. And, and, and I know his practice and he runs a good practice as I hope you guys are hearing right now. But yeah, share your contact info. Best way, you know, it is on Indeed, but the best way would be um, they charge me for it. So I'll, I'll pass on half of my savings to you if you email me directly. <laughs> it is uh, drkelly at kelly-dental.com. So just drkelly at kelly-dental.com. Text or email that and I'll give you my cell phone or whatever. We can talk or whatever's easier for you. So I'm pretty laid back. Would just love to kind of pick anyone's brain on, you know, if they think it might be a fit. Springfield is a great area to live. 
We've got the Bass Pro National Headquarters. So if you like to hunt or walk around a gigantic store, we've got that home of Brad Pitt, home of Bob Barker. What else could you want? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to a segment where we share little systems that add up to big results. Dr. Kelly, what is your little system? You know, my little system, um, you know, there's that little box in Open Dental. I think we were going to talk about this, but I went from Dentrix to Open Dental. I would never look back. The, the reports are a lot easier. So to answer the question, there's a little box that you can kind of put personal information about your patients in. We were asking everyone for reviews and some of them were like, I think I already left you one. So what we ended up doing is we'll put, if they left a five-star review, which most of them do, we'll put like five asterisks right at the top of that box mm-hmm. so that if we go to ask them for a review, it's like, oh, they already left us a review. Let's thank them for a review instead of asking them. But if they don't have them, we'll ask them for a review. So it's just kind of a good way for it to stay front of mind for our team. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's a great use of that box because like my team uses it for other reasons. They put like the personal stuff, like how many kids they have, they put that somewhere else in open dental. They put it in the com log, which I think is, I hate putting it there, but they just don't want to change. So that's where they put it. I like, I, I want to put it in the ortho chart function, but nobody agrees with me on, on this, but it's good that you, you should have it somewhere and, and what a difference it makes. And that little box in open dentals is cool. Like you just, it's just a box that's underneath the odontogram that you can just put whatever the hell you want there. And it's really the information's available every time you open up the chart. It's really cool. So I like how you guys use that. Let's move on to the segment where we celebrate that all of us are human and none of us is perfect. Dr. Kelly, let's get real. What is the biggest struggle at your practice right now and what are you doing about it? For us, you know, having doubled the last couple of years, you know, it's just the challenge is growth. I've not had as much time to work on the business, you know, throughout my day, my hands are in the mouth. You know, I've got young kids now, so I don't really stay as late. So just finding time to really sit down, communicate, you know, build the roles on my team, build clarity around those roles, you know, based on what our practice needs. Uh, I need to kind of reel things in a little bit since we've grown and, and make sure we're still sticking and reviewing our fundamentals, you know, like recall treatment, tracking team coaching and meetings. And yeah, for what we're trying to do to conquer that right now is just, you know, I'm working with a traction coach starting in 2023 to try to kind of just build out these systems and roles and clarity and, and make sure that the business is being serviced as much as the patients are. All right. Very cool. If you could go back in time to the beginning of your career, what do you wish you could tell yourself? Early on, being lean and mean, four ops, you know, pretty much one of every role, you know, that was, it was healthy, it was slow growth. And I just was holding myself back by not wanting to really invest in a second producer. I also was having a hard time finding, you know, a good return on marketing and external marketing. So, you know, once I found that guy, though, I, I really felt and once I hired that team member, I really felt like I had waited too long and wished I had gone back and probably ramped things up faster, sooner in my career. So I would say don't be afraid to take those steps and kind of service that demand that you're getting and, and really become somebody that's known in your community and try to kind of get your name out there. Yeah, that, that's awesome. I right, share a story where you learned a valuable business lesson from an experience or the hard way. Mine would be, you know, other than letting my water trickle on a negative 15 degree day. <laughs> Not letting your water trickle. Yeah, I, I thought that was only for like old people and stuff you read in the newspaper <laughs> to do. 
I didn't think people actually were supposed to do that. So none of my water works at the office. My hands still have soap on them. But yeah, I would say the actual lesson I had planned to talk about was, you know, with cosmetic cases or these consults you have come in and these people are kind of trying to rush you from a limited exam to like a veneer visit or a denture visit, you know, where you're edentulating them and putting them in dentures. Don't let the patient's rush you into those procedures without really having time to have a consult, answer their questions, set expectations for what it would be like after treatment begins and expectations for what you're able to even do for them. Sometimes, you know, those can go south and, you know, if you haven't had time to set the expectations, you're going to miss the expectations and you end up with a red flag situation and you're trying to give them their money back or, you know, it's just kind of a hard case to dredge through. So uh, I've learned from experience there to just kind of move with the pace you need to move, knowing from experience how they how they need to go communication wise. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And it's, it's you, we get these people that they know what they want and they, they seem just like, oh, it's an easy sell. Yeah, I want to get started. Let's go, let's go. And it's like, well, pump the brakes. Let's talk about options. Yeah, man, couldn't agree more. Yeah, and money's, money's always a barrier. And these people are like, oh, I can pay for it right now. And you're like, great, great. The main barrier is gone. And then you find yourself in this sticky situation and you're like, oh man, it, it was way smoother day one, but. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I've had those same experiences. All right. Let's move on to the dental practice hero. Sexy six. Six sexy questions. What is your favorite quote and what does it mean to you? So this quote is from Terry Crews. It's actually read it in tribe of mentors by Tim Ferriss. Have you read that book? I, you know, I had it and, and it was like when I would pick up here and there, I, ne- I never got up through all of it, but I have like flipped through it. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, Terry Crews, he's the, the old spice, you know, flex guy. It was, he's, he's hilarious. It, it's about creativity and talking about how using your own unique creativity in whatever you're doing. And so he says, when you're creative, you render competition obsolete because there's only one you and no one can do things exactly the way you do. Never worry about competition. When you're creative, you can, in fact, cheer others on with the full knowledge that their success will undoubtedly be your own. Uh, What it means to me is just what he says there. Sometimes you get this anxiety, even if you're not a naturally competitive person. If you're a driver, you want to make sure that you stand out. And I think the key for me is, you know, even with the silly dad joke thing we do and the way it relates to me is my sister came to see me the first time ever as a new patient back when I first started being a dentist and after the visit she goes hey Chase uh, don't forget to be yourself yeah because I think I was kind of like I don't know pretending <laughs> to be too doctory and I was just like hey sister you know Mrs. Murphy you know <laughs> she's like you're my freaking brother you're an idiot when we're not at the dental office act like an idiot like normal no but uh, I think she was just like be yourself you know use your own creativity and I think that's what's really set myself apart and people know when you're comfortable in your own skin yeah and it's I know what you mean. Like, like when I see like friends or like, you know, maybe not close friends, but like people that I know or family members, extended family members, sometimes you're so focused. I mean, there's been times where I've missed like completely just missed a diagnosis and just missed some like carries or things that I should have caught because I was so focused on the presentation rather than like actually just being comfortable and just doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I personally, I don't, I don't really like seeing family or friends at the practice, but I see a shit ton of them. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's can be risky. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's good. Like there's, there's people that I want, I'm like, I want to do it. I want to be the one that makes sure it does, I do it right and stuff like that. But then part of me doesn't want to have that, uh, you know, going to a party and be like, yeah, man, it's kind of still cold sensitive. It's like, oh, shut up. Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's it always hard too because like I, I always want to keep like a 20 foot radius around them when they're going to pay because I'm like I'm not giving them a discount yeah yeah so, right <laughs> like are they gonna get mad <laughs> I know I know do they think they're like in the friend zone if some people come in like oh, we've been friends since high school I'm like bro I haven't seen you in like eight years or talked to you in eight years <laughs> yeah like where's the friend discount come on man oh what are you gonna yeah. do all right man all right what are you doing what are you reading right now uh, right now, I'm actually reading your newest book. Oh, I didn't tell you I was going to say this, oh, cool. but loving it so far. Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah, man. You're what it is is just a very. It's just a book you can apply straight to your practice because it's from a guy who's done that exact thing, and you've proven it. You know, you're a successful guy. Um, you've done really good things with your practice, and you just you're very personable, relatable, and that's what the book's like to me when I read it. So, I've been able to use a lot of those things and put them into play in my practice. Your original book is kind of where I started. I have not gotten through the new one yet, but it's got a lot of photos and things like that to where you can kind of compare it to your you know, charting and whatever you need to do. So that's what I'm reading right now. Awesome. Thanks, man. And and yeah, and then where, right where you're at, adding hygienists and you're ready to like take the next step. Like The whole book is about getting yourself to capacity and then getting yourself out of the chair so you can focus more on reaching the next capacity point. And that's what you've been doing, and you're at a nice capacity point right now where you're you're gearing to you know expand your hygiene and bring on an associate and go to the next level. I love it. I recommend a book that all dentists should read. I was gonna say Everything Is Marketing by Fred Joyle. I read that a ways back. I don't know if you recommended it or somebody did on your podcast, but I mean, it's just like every time I would read a chapter in that book, I'm like, yes, yes. And that guy's, you know, you can tell he's just very focused on the, the marketing component of everything. So, you know, I just kind of took what I could, didn't take some of the things, but I don't think you can really disagree with most of the things he's saying as far as patient experience goes. So I love that book. Yeah, me too. All right. Recommend a seminar or continue in education. You know, I have done quite a few over the years. I would say the latest one that I did that I had a good experience with was the Aesthetic Advantage. It's a Larry Rosenthal veneer course, and they do a hands-on at NYU with live patients after a full day of lecturing. You you prep teeth, you temporize them, you come back in a month and deliver the restorations, and you get to learn from all the old dental XP guys. And my reason for going to that was just to try to learn their workflows, their kind of proven workflows over time. There's a lot of digital stuff now these days they're definitely not like heavy on the digital side, mm-hmm. uh, which is a little different, but I think the results is their workflows and their patient communication and the results is what I was looking to learn from. Yeah, so. that's cool. And you know, my associate was just asking me if I, she wants to do a bring your patient kind of uh, over the shoulder course. And I'll have to mention that one to her because, because yeah, I, I, I did not know about that one. I know Hornbrook does and over the, like where you can bring a patient, but that's what I told her, but I'll have to let her know about that one because that one's a little bit closer than going out to California. All right, please share an analogy that you use to communicate an idea to a patient. All right, so I love analogies. I probably use them to make everyone sick to their stomach so much, but you know, I've got a few. One of them is perio, so they have like a mobile tooth, or say you're starting to notice perio and you don't want it to get bad. I always refer to like the wobbly fence post with not enough dirt around it. You know, your bones like the dirt, and if that bone starts receding, that fence post is going to get wobbly, which is their tooth, and um, you'll end up losing it eventually. Another one I like is, you know, if teeth have fractures or cracks, you know, the old, you know, it's like splitting a log. If you chew, that log would split in half. So mm-hmm. what we want to do is split it together with the crown, which is like a hat holding that together so it doesn't split like a log. And then lastly, if a patient has a bad bite or, you know, a lot of times a patient comes in and they want just the lower denture, not the upper, or just the upper, not the lower, 
but they have dentures, um, full dentures, kind of like having a car and having your tires going bad and one pops and you need a new tire and just replacing that one and having all the others bald. You know, you really want to make every, make sure everything's matching together uh, so you can have the best result when you're chewing and the best longevity of that prosthesis. Those are three really good ones. I like that log one a lot. I've never heard that one before. That's great, man. All right, if you had three pieces of advice for a new dentist or soon-to-be graduate, what would they be? Number one is, is uh, you know, once you're out, you're not in school, in a, in a program anymore, so you should just try everything you want. Find what looks fun to you. You know, in school, you're used to being told what you learn, but now that you're out, you can learn what you want. So whether it's through another doctor, buy mentorship from them, or going to different CE courses, learn over time and try pretty much everything you possibly can. And learn what you like and do more of that over time. So I filtered through some of those different procedures and kind of found what I liked and run with those. Second would be uh, just be yourself. Like I said, my sister, you know, she's like, you know, be yourself in the operatory. You know, that's what patients connect with. Thirdly, I would say to learn, really learn the business. Earlier in my career, probably second, third year in when I was getting a little bit more comfortable, I hired a consultant to kind of teach me about you know, different benchmarks, teach me about numbers to look out for, you know, metrics, KPIs to look at with the team and just make the practice something that kind of caters to the lifestyle that you want. And, you know, what I always heard was you want to run the practice based around what you want in life. Otherwise it's going to run you. So just really finding your balance, preventing burnout. I've had a lot of friends get burnt out by running too hard. So really just make sure you set some boundaries be te- protective of those boundaries so you don't get you know tempted to extend into personal hours and if you don't own a practice you know maybe find an associateship that gives you control to be able to try some of these things so mm-hmm. those would be my three awesome man great advice do you got a dad joke you want to end with <laughs> oh man uh christmas dad joke i had a, a friend's <laughs> wife text me this earlier today <laughs> she says what did adam say to eve the day before christmas what it's Christmas Eve. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Man, hey, Chase, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks for coming on and sharing your story. I think you got such a great story of just, and I think your story's going to resonate with a lot of people that might feel like they're just kind of stagnating or they're just hesitant to take that big next step. And I, what I like the theme of your story is that just taking that leap of faith and just trusting yourself. And now you're enjoying all those, those, this great fruit from your, your hard work. But yeah, there was a little risk involved, but I think you just got, I'm so happy you came on and shared all that because it's such a cool story. So thank you for your time. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you so much.